live from New York City, it's The Gary Null Show. And now, your host, Gary Null. Hi, everyone. I'm Gary Null. I'd like to welcome you to a special program. It's Christmas, and as such, many of the people I know, especially those who are single, those who may have had families, no longer have them, and this is not the brightest time of year for them, especially considering it's not just loneliness that occurs because they're thinking back to times when they were with the people they loved and shared joy and happiness and good times, but this has not been a year of joy and happiness and good times. For hundreds of millions of Americans, this is a time of, of suffering, of uncertainty, of change, more obesity, diabetes, heart disease, cancer, and of course, COVID virus. We also have to look at all the jobs that have been lost that are not coming back. This is not one of those situations, well, it'll get better. It won't get better for the vast majority of people. That is simply a reality. Our government, unfortunately, if you look at the 5,000-page report, is just loaded with pork. It's loaded with money from lobbying groups, thousands of lobbyists in Washington, that would never be accepted by the average citizen. And yet the average citizen is given originally $600, may go to 2000 Considering the bills, considering the hunger, considering the lack of medical coverage, considering the, the foreclosure notices that are happening to millions of Americans, this will make the crash of 2008 pale by comparison. So a lot of people don't feel that there's a lot of things to feel joyful about. Add on to that the fact that we have more single people than ever before of all ages who are facing the future with a great deal of uncertainty. So how can we change this? We can't change a corrupt government until we stop voting for them. We can't change the media until we stop reading and listening and watching them. We have to boycott in mass. We have to have a martial plan of social protest. Stop using Google and Facebook and Twitter Stop going to Wikipedia. Walk away from Wikipedia. Stop buying their junk foods. They say that the first people who should get the vaccines are the people who are in most need, the poor, the people of color. Well, why is it that those same people telling you that you should serve the vaccine first to these people, then turn around and make sure that the celebrities and the politicians are shown getting it? How did they get to the front of the line? They say that the vaccine has not been tested to see what will do with people who have comorbidities or autoimmune conditions, and yet the poorest people are the people suffering from the greatest number of comorbidities. So therefore, giving a person that's already sick with diabetes and obesity and heart disease and arthritis, giving them a vaccine that can cause a hyper-stimulant effect to the immune system is impractical. You haven't tested it. We surely are beyond the point of allowing the American public, the world public, to be human guinea pigs. Yet that's exactly what is anticipated. Yet when was the last time you saw any effort from the political spectrum to de-ghettoize 
all of the neighborhoods in America, to bring back vibrancy, jobs, to bring back the, the idea that you have a sustainable neighborhood where you have community gardens and health food stores. What you find now is, more often than not, junk food sold almost exclusively in these areas. So we're not dealing with any of our real problems. So it's up to us, the public, to make change. So today I'm going to do something I believe will be very positive at this time of our lives. I'm going to present a discussion called Change Your Life. If you can't change the circumstances always in your life, and we can't, we can certainly change ourselves. We can decide to get off their grid. We can decide to work with each other. We can decide that we are more important than they We in, in, in making decisions. We should be the experts in our lives. So hopefully you will find some meaning and merit in this, and this will temper some of the some of the ill will that is being shared in our country today, the divisiveness, the body politic, the, the unnecessary personal attacks, the violence. It is so counterintuitive, counter-spiritual, and counterproductive to having any positive outcome. What I'm about to share, I believe, will allow us to have a much better future. It was the early 1970s, and a professor, Bruce Lipton, was doing some unusual work. He had taken the DNA, or the gene, out of cells. Now, what he found that was remarkable and that would virtually revolutionize science was that the cell continued to do what it was supposed to do, but there was no gene there telling it what to do. That'd be like you having your brain removed and carrying on a conversation or going about your work. It wasn't possible. And he replicated again, and it still came out that way. Recently, I had a conversation with uh, Professor Lipton, and I asked him, I said, what do you think caused this? And he said, at the moment that this happened, I didn't know. And my colleagues simply couldn't accept this out at Stanford University. So he had to go into another discipline. He had to go into quantum physics, and from there into Buddhism and existential beliefs before he would come up with an answer. How can the cell understand what to do if the basic programming is gone? Well, what he found was, and what has taken a long time for people to accept, and many still don't accept, is that it is the medium in which that cell existed that caused it to respond. I'm Gary Knoll. In our program, we're going to explore what about the medium in which you exist, your beliefs, your attitudes, your actions, your emotions. You wake up one day and you're 30, you're 40, you're 50, 60, 70, or getting there or there slightly over and you're wondering, what am I doing? Because it's generally only at, at these decades that we begin to re-examine our life. It's almost like New Year's, New Year's we're going to start all over, have new resolutions. Well, then about May we think, haven't done anything, started and stopped. And then it's the same old, same old. I believe that we can understand a lot about human nature by combining science and beliefs, put them all together and see what do we have. And I'm going to take a little different approach than what you might expect. I'm going to ask you 
to start this whole process by looking at what would happen if you emptied your life. And that's our theme, emptying your life. What does it mean to empty your life in order to better understand what your life could be, who you are, and think of all the mistakes you've made, think of all the things that if you've just been stymied by, and what can you put in its place? Well, what we try to do in our society is instead of emptying anything, we add something in. We're almost afraid to accept that, that maybe if we stopped long enough, got quiet, faced our problems, tried to understand the lesson of them, that we would have to surrender a lot of our beliefs. And almost everything you do every day is based upon your beliefs. What if your beliefs are wrong? What if a part of your beliefs are wrong? What if something in your belief system should have been changed and you didn't change it? I'm helping a group of individuals at each decade of life, those who are 30 to 70, men and women, and all I'm doing is asking them a series of questions. And over a six-month period, these individuals are using these questions as the basis for making changes in their life and to see what is the result if you can focus on some issues and come up with some new ideas. So I'm going to go through some questions. Not that I'm going to have the answer, I'm merely going to open the door. But what's nice about opening doors, just like Dr. Lipton did, he showed that pay attention science, but all of science disagreed with him. All of it. Why? Why couldn't everyone simply say, wow, we have a whole new way of looking at things? Because they were so rigidified, they were so collectively indoctrinated into the dogma, the ritual, the creed, the belief that what they had been told and what their subconscious was processing was real. But he showed it wasn't. Now here's one man saying, look at the milieu, look at the medium. And if he had looked back in the 1800s, there was a man named Beauchamp who was Pasteur's uh, contemporary and where Pasteur was saying, it is the microbe that causes disease. Beauchamp was saying, no, it's the medium that the microbe exists in that causes disease. No one paid attention to Beauchamp. At the time, no one paid attention to, to Dr. Lipton, even to this day. We have, we're still focusing on the gene, the gene, the gene. Everything's in your gene. If the gene says you're going to be uh, dying at a certain age or if you're going to have cancer, look at how many women had their breasts removed because doctor says, hmm, you've got the gene that predicts you're going to get breast cancer. Completely healthy women with nothing wrong with their breasts went in and had their doctors remove their breasts, remove their daughter's breasts because they were told, you've got the gene. That is how really distorted the whole science of genetics has become. But it's only a symptom of the larger distortion of reality of our entire society. Let's begin our journey. For all of you, of every decade and in between, let's do something a little different. In the process of emptying our life, so we take everything out to see what works. Have you ever just one day gone to your sock drawer and taken all your socks out and see which ones match and don't match and, and you think, wow, I've got all this stuff in here that doesn't match and then you throw it away? And there's a part of you that doesn't want to throw anything away. I mean, look in your closets, look in your garage and your attics and your basement, look at all the stuff we just accumulate. Look at the people we accumulate. 
Look at all the things we accumulate that serves no useful purpose. We have a hard time surrendering things because so much of our identity is based upon collecting things. We collect degrees and money and possessions and friends because that's what we become. We become an extension of everything we collect. But do we ever stop and say, what is the total sum of my world and the relevance of it from what I've collected? Are you a better person, a wiser person, a more humane person, a kinder person? Are you a more empathetic person based upon what you collect? What if you emptied out everything and then only put back into your life what serves the essential self? But how do we know what's essential when part of what we collect is our identity? How many times have you gone through every moment of every day doing as best as you can, working as hard as you can, only to realize, I'm still empty. I'm, I don't feel that completeness. If I'm working this hard, I ought to feel better about myself. I recently saw a film called Being Julia uh, with Annette Bening, and there's a point in the film where this famous actress, this British actress, that's what she's playing, and her husband, a producer of, of, of theater, uh, is having an affair with a younger man, a friend of her son, and she kind of accepts that her husband shouldn't know about it, but if he does, you know, well, they're kind of modern. And then she realizes that everything she was going through to both have this man in her life, and then when he no longer wanted to be a part of it, to show her distress of not having was all just part of her acting. Her whole life was just acting. Everything was an illusion. Everything in her life was an illusion. And I thought about how many people I know that all they do every day is play act. The doctor who says, we're here to help you, and kills you. Well, that's play acting. And, and the curtain is, your life is gone or you're injured. You look at how many people die each year because of bad medicine, it's uh, conservatively the number one cause of death in America. More people die each year, 786,000, because of bad medicine than all other causes out there. But no one says, change the script. Stop acting like you want to help someone and look at the results of what you do. But we won't do that. We'd rather look at the effort that we put into something than the results from that effort. So we reward ourselves with effort. I work hard at my job. I want to help people. But are you helping people? Yes or no? All you rheumatologists, do you have a cure for arthritis? The answer is no. But what did you give people? Minimum, 55,000 dead people from Vioxx, Celebrex. How many drugs have you given with absolute certainty they should work and never looked at the fact of all these dead bodies? 50,000 Americans in one year die malnutrition from going into a hospital. They got the malnutrition in the hospital. Did any dietitian, nu nutritionist, nurse, or doctor say, hmm, what are we doing wrong here? Should we do something different? No, they say, we did everything we had to do. Yeah, but the patient died. Well, but that's not our fault. We were following the script, just like, just like Annette Benning. Her script for her life was all just acting. How many people act sincere and aren't? We elect presidents based upon the level of their sincerity. And don't ask, okay, so the guy's sincere, but what, what about the consequences of his actions? How many people are alive or dead because of it? 
we are so caught up into the mystique that life is simply what we should accept that we never question whether or not what we're accepting is real. So how I would suggest that we start our first step is select everything as if you were starting over. Now what would change? Well, when I go into someone's refrigerator, when I went into my brother's refrigerator, um, I immediately closed the door. I think there were <laughs> organisms in there that were the CDC could not kill. And they were living in the food that my brother had. Now, my brother's not that unusual. I'm sure many other Americans have things that when you smile in the refrigerator, something smiles back and shouldn't. And, oh, dirty you can't imagine. What do you mean? So it's a little dirt. Won't hurt you? Yeah, it will. Well, it didn't hurt me. Well, you've got cancer. How do you know it didn't hurt you? Well, that didn't come from cigarette smoking. It didn't? No. Clean out everything and then start over. Think of your wardrobe. What would change? If you just cleaned it out and say, I want a whole new wardrobe. I used to drive my friends uh, to despair because every two years I would completely redo all the furnishings in my apartment. I had a large Upper West Side Manhattan apartment and uh, I would do different styles. Why are you changing, Gary? Well, because I'm bored with what I had and part of the excitement of life is creating something new. Yeah, but it's a lot of effort. Of course it's effort. But you know what is more effort? Trying to adapt to something that's boring. Look at your sex life. Boring. Look at your conversation. Real boring. Huh? Look at almost everything in our lives. Now, am I right? And then we adapt to it, and we just kind of, well, another day, another dollar, and i got to eat the same things, go to the same thing, talk, mm -hmm, same conversations, right? Well, start over. Start over and say, I'm going to have a different kind of conversation, one that's going to be surprising. I actually want to have meaningful conversations. Ooh. <laughs> a meaningful conversation? Wow. Well, that would eliminate a lot of conversations, wouldn't it? Yeah. Most conversations, because they're not meaningful. Now, why aren't they meaningful? Because we don't see the purpose of a meaningful conversation because it means we have to talk about something and we have to first select something as meaningful and then look at it as if there's a way of changing it. If you're not willing to change something, you're not going to focus on it, are you? A fear of knowing is a fear of doing, so said Fritz Perl, the discoverer of Gestalt. That means if we don't want to change something, we won't look for it to change. So everything in your life, select it as if this is a new day something fresh and vital, from the color of the clothes we wear to the type of friends that we have to what we do with those friends and what we do with ourselves, even your bodies. How many people do I know? How many men going through andropause from 40 on up, they're losing muscle mass, they're, uh, they're losing their sense of energy and enthusiasm, their passion for things are gone, they're even losing their rear end, the gluteus. It, it does. Look at, look, look at most men in their 20s. Their gluteus are round and solid. Then look at men, every decade it gets smaller and smaller, till then it's a pancake. <laughs> it's flat. Flat rear ends. And that's why so many guys just fall into toilets. <laughs> and that's embarrassing. I mean, what do you do when you're kind of, your legs are up in the air and you're, help, get me out. <laughs> it can happen. <laughs> but then ask that guy, okay, what kind of body we'd want? And where their mind's going to go is not what kind of body I'd like to have, what kind of mind I'd like to have is 
Well, what kind of effort is it going to take? Well, it's going to take an effort. It's not going to be easy. Well, if it's too hard, it's going to disrupt me. If it's going to make me uncomfortable, I can't do it. So you, the level of your comfort determines your reality. So you've adapted everything to a low level of discomfort. So the moment a conversation is uncomfortable, you become defensive. The moment you're supposed to do something to change it to grow, you, you back off. The older we get, as each decade approaches, the less we focus upon what we need to do to change. We start focusing upon, I can't go back, I'm never going to be as young, as attractive, as accepted, as passionate, so I just got to kind of squeeze my life into an ever narrow frame of existence, so I'll hang with people who are like me, and I'll exclude everyone who's not. And so your life goes from here to here, and you just adapt to it. That's the problem of what we do when we age. Next up, when you need someone special and someone to be special, everything then becomes an edited illusion. Think of how many times that the basis of whatever you do is because you project upon another person your own incompleteness, your own insecurity, your needs. And then everything that should be noticed about a person, you have to edit out because it doesn't meet your, the special person. So all these other deficiencies, all these other qualities that should be looked at and challenged, you kind of don't pay attention to because you're needing something special. Think of the politicians that we need to be strong and we look, overlook all their other deficiencies. Think of the school teacher who is biased. Think of the people who are prejudiced. And because we need something from them, we exclude any uh, real critiquing. Instead of looking carefully and saying, if I need someone special out there, it's because I don't feel special in here. For every deficiency you have, you're merely going to look at another person to fill up that deficiency. Well, who out there is special enough to fill the void in your life? No one. And all that's going to happen when you go on that route is you're going to waste a lot of your life expecting someone else to make you feel the way you should make yourself feel. And when they can't do it, that's when the arguments start. Next, how do you compensate for feelings of inadequacy? Never fully relaxing, always feeling vulnerable, never wanting to let yourself go, never truly being in the moment, always planning everything, always having to control everything. That's what happens when we feel inadequate. Almost always we will compensate for inadequacy. And when we compensate for any place we feel inadequate, we're really feeling vulnerable. We hope someone doesn't find our vulnerability. So we protect our vulnerabilities. We disguise them. And the older we get, as each generation comes, we throw more levels of insulation around our deficiencies. And then we only focus upon what we know will not embarrass us, that we can do with some sense of completeness. And so we kind of hide there. Least off anyone finds where we're inadequate. And we'll compensate. Some people feel so vulnerable because of their inadequacy, they overeat or they drink, or gamble, or spend time distracted in something. They don't even try to hide it anymore. 
and other people are very good at hiding their deficiencies. Well, I want to ask you, how do you grow? By just promoting what you can do well or by eliminating what you can't and then balancing your life in a more complete way? We have a lot of people, everybody, in fact, does something well. Everybody. I don't care if it's shining shoes or cutting hair or making missiles or broadcasting the news. Everybody has mastered something. But what about the rest of their life? Where is the balance in their life? Without balance, you're imbalanced. And when you're imbalanced, then everything is going to be distorted. It is the imbalance and distortion that causes disharmony. Disharmony leads to disease. Stress comes from what we cannot handle. So that anything that is considered a stressful situation is because we can't handle the outcome of it, so we feel vulnerable to the consequences of it. And when you feel vulnerable that you're going to have a negative consequence, then you stress yourself, and then what you fear, you actually manifest. What's missing from your life? What's missing? Now, more importantly, what's missing and how does it affect you? To know what's missing from your life, you have to take the time to go into that conscious focus, mindful meditation, being present in the moment and saying, I'm going to be mindful of what I ideally would like in my life. And my ideals are that in my friendship, this is the kind of friend I want, the kind of body I want, the health I want, the career I want, the quality of time for self or others that I want, where I'd like to live. And you write down all of the things that you feel are very important to you that viscerally, from your heart, from your heart chakra, you feel that connection to the essential energy. You say, this is what I want. And then honor that. But now if you have what you want here and what you actually have here, if there's a discrepancy, that creates conflict. Because everyone who has a desire for A but is living at C is going to feel the rub. Every day you're going to be reminded that you're not living your ideal. Now you can do one of two things. You can either A, change, so you can at least have a chance of manifesting your ideal, or adapt to the pain of not having an ideal. It's going to be one or the other. That's how we have a life not allowing other people to inform us what we should be doing to be happy. Inform yourself. This is what I want. This is what I'm going to do. Here's the tools I need. Here's my plan of action. And then don't let anything distract you. Do you possess all the resources and openness to change and grow? Because to grow, you have to have resources to grow. You have to have time to grow. And time can't be on an artificial schedule. There is a natural process that occurs. If you try to force it, try to get into shape too quickly, you're going to injure yourself. Train too hard, you're going to injure yourself. Study too hard, you'll injure your brain by being stressed. Look at how many college students are really stressed out because they're on methamphetamine or cocaine uh, or caffeine, staying up all night to cram for something because they expected they're expected to have so much knowledge in too short a period of time. 
It is not natural, nor is it natural for a doctor in residency to work 35 hours. Would you want a doctor operating on you when they haven't slept in 35 hours? No. Why do we put them through that? That's a macabre ritual. That's a hazing, a medical hazing. We do the same for nurses. We do the same for other people. Slow down to the speed of life. Focus with a sense of complete attention and say, how much time is it going to take to get where I need to go and learn to accept that it is a process that cannot be rushed, nor is it a process that should be delayed. Delaying is procrastination. It is diversion. Look to see how clever your mind is in distracting yourself from where you need to go. Look at how clever the excuses are that you say, I don't have the tools, therefore I can't do something, instead of saying, what tools do I need? Let me, let me get those tools. One or the other is going to happen. You're either going to go forward or you're going to stay still. You stay still, watch how you adapt to staying still. And it's always a negative adaptation. Bitterness, anger, a sense of self-righteous indignation at the world because you're not, you're not happy, they're happy. You blame everything and circumstances. Well, if only, if only what? If only you were rich or only you were black or only you are white or taller or shorter, smarter or not. No, those are not what's causing you to have a happy life. Those are immaterial to a happy life. But we've made them material. I know a whole group of people who run a radio station who feel that they are victims of everyone else and therefore are entitled to their anger. And then I'll show you people who says, if I'm a victim, I've made myself a victim. I choose not to be a victim. I choose to be free. I choose to be free to create my own life, my own sense of happiness, my own sense of completeness. You're not responsible for how I feel. You don't give me a headache. If I have a headache, it's because I've chosen a headache. It's just a distraction from my frustration of being overwhelmed by stress that I have maladapted to. And we are a nation that feels like victims, aren't we? We actually ritualize being victims. We enshrine victimhood in our society. Heaven help the person who says, while you're all still playing victim, I have surrendered the need for any form of redemption through suffering. I am complete in the moment of my own consciousness. Remember what Lipton said, it's not the gene, and the gene is the circumstance. It's not the teaching, and a whole nation thrives in the recovery movements, recovering your memory, and teaching you about your mommy and daddy, and you weren't breastfed, or you were yelled at, and hence you locked it into your psychology of self, and it's buried in the subconscious. We're going to dig every week two or three times, and you're going to be better and better looking into your deep self, and we're going to probe in there like, we're going to be emotional anthropologists. And when we finally find something in there, we're going to examine it like medical archaeologists. Hi, everyone. I'm Gary Knoll. I'd like to welcome you to The Gary Knoll Show. This is the place to come to if you want programs you're just not going to see anywhere else. I can promise you at the end of this program, you're going to have insights and information that will stimulate constructive thought and change. Without balance, you're imbalanced. And when you're imbalanced, 
then everything is going to be distorted. It is the imbalance and distortion that causes disharmony, and disharmony leads to disease. Stress comes from what we cannot handle. So that anything that is considered a stressful situation is because we can't handle the outcome of it, so we feel vulnerable to the consequences of it. And when you feel vulnerable that you're going to have a negative consequence, then you stress yourself, and then what you fear, you actually manifest. What's missing from your life? What's missing? Now, more importantly, what's missing and how does it affect you? To know what's missing from your life, you have to take the time to go into that conscious focus, mindful meditation, being present in the moment and saying, I'm going to be mindful of what I ideally would like in my life. And my ideals are that in my friendship, this is the kind of friend I want, the kind of body I want, the health I want, the career I want, the quality of time for self or others that I want, where I'd like to live. And you write down all of the things that you feel are very important to you that viscerally, from your heart, from your heart chakra, you feel that connection to the essential energy. You say, this is what I want, and then honor that. But now, if you have what you want here and what you actually have here, if there's a discrepancy, that creates conflict. Because everyone who has a desire for A but is living at C is going to feel the rub. Every day you're going to be reminded that you're not living your ideal. Now, you can do one of two things. You can either A, change so you can at least have a chance of manifesting your ideal or adapt to the pain of not having an ideal. It's going to be one or the other. That's how we have a life, not allowing other people to inform us what we should be doing to be happy. Inform yourself. This is what I want. This is what I'm going to do. Here's the tools I need. Here's my plan of action and then don't let anything distract you. Do you possess all the resources and openness to change and grow? Because to grow, you have to have resources to grow. You have to have time to grow, and time can't be on an artificial schedule. There is a natural process that occurs. If you try to force it, try to get into shape too quickly, you're going to injure yourself. Train too hard, you're going to injure yourself. Study too hard, you'll injure your brain by being stressed. Look at how many college students are really stressed out because they're on methamphetamine or cocaine uh, or caffeine, staying up all night to cram for something because they expected, they're expected to have so much knowledge in too short a period of time. It is not natural, nor is it natural for a doctor in residency to work 35 hours. Would you want a doctor operating on you when they haven't slept in 35 hours? No. Why do we put them through that? That's a macabre ritual. That's a hazing, a medical hazing. We do the same for nurses. We do the same for other people. Slow down to the speed of life. Focus with a sense of complete attention and say, how much time is it going to take to get where I need to go and learn to accept that it is a process that cannot be rushed. 
nor is it a process that should be delayed. Delaying is procrastination. It is diversion. Look to see how clever your mind is in distracting yourself from where you need to go. Look at how clever the excuses are that you say, I don't have the tools, therefore I can't do something. Instead of saying, what tools do I need? Let me, let me get those tools. One or the other is going to happen. You're either going to go forward or you're going to stay still. You stay still, watch how you adapt to staying still. And it's always a negative adaptation. Bitterness, anger, a sense of self-righteous indignation at the world because you're not happy, you're not happy, they're happy. You blame everything and circumstances. Well, if only, if only what? If only you were rich or only you were black or only you're white or taller or shorter, smarter or not. No, those are not what's causing you to have a happy life. Those are immaterial to a happy life. But we've made them material. I know a whole group of people who run a radio station who feel that they are victims of everyone else and therefore are entitled to their anger. And then I'll show you people who says, if I'm a victim, I've made myself a victim. I choose not to be a victim. I choose to be free. I choose to be free to create my own life, my own sense of happiness, my own sense of completeness. You're not responsible for how I feel. You don't give me a headache. If I have a headache, it's because I've chosen a headache. It's just a distraction from my frustration of being overwhelmed by stress that I have maladapted to. And we are a nation that feels like victims, aren't we? We actually ritualize being victims. We enshrine victimhood in our society. Haven't helped the person who says, while you're all still playing victim, I have surrendered the need for any form of redemption through suffering. I am complete in the moment of my own consciousness. Remember what Lipton said, it's not the gene, and the gene is the circumstance. It's not the teaching, and a whole nation thrives in the recovery movements, recovering your memory, and teaching you about your mommy and daddy, and you weren't breastfed, or you were yelled at, and hence you locked it into your psychology of self, and it's buried in the subconscious. We're going to dig every week two or three times, and you're going to be better and better looking into your deep self, and we're going to probe in there like, we're going to be emotional anthropologists. And when we finally find something in there, we're going to examine it like medical archaeologists. We're going to dust it and brush it and blow it off and say, hmm, there it is. You see? You didn't go to the bathroom when you should have, when you were eight years old, and you held it in, and now you hold all your emotions. The person goes, oh, thank God you understand me. I was afraid I was going to have to understand myself. Gee, isn't it nice to be a nation of educated neurotics, psychotics, delusional, paranoid schizophrenics? Because that's what everyone's got to label. Everybody is a disease today. Can't talk with a stranger? Ah, stranger disease. <laughs> Afraid of growing up? Oh, yes. Another disease. We have just a disease for everything. Everything. You talk too much? A disease. Don't talk enough? It's a disease. Don't talk in the right tone? It's a disease. Confrontational, attitudinal disease. Oh my God, it's perfect. The whole nation is a disease needing a cure. And who cures you? A whole profession. It says, yes, I'm Dr. Luckety Schmuck, and I'll tell you what's wrong with you. And we buy into it. Instead of saying, hold on a second, 
I'm present right now, and there's nothing wrong with me right now. So I'm going to make my choice from where I am now. My energy, the energy of my being can say I can do what I want to do now. If I try to go back into my past and try to rearrange my past and correct everything in my past, that would take a whole other lifetime. So if you're 40, another 40 years. Your therapist say, great, yeah. <laughs> but that's not going to help you. You can't change the past, can you? So why not just be present for where you're at? Look ahead, not back. Distraction diminishes the present moment. Just eliminate distractions. I saw today that the average person is now watching television almost six hours. How much time do you use in a day to distract yourself? Think of all the phone calls that are meaningless. Think of the chores. Think of the rituals. Why not just say anything that distracts me from what I need to balance my life, I'm not going to engage anymore? Take all distractions away. And what are you left with? Just you. So are you really afraid of you? What would happen with just you? Try to talk with a kid today about themselves. They can tell you about their family, and they can tell you about what they're doing, but it's hard for them to talk about themselves. A lot of people can't talk about themselves because they don't know who they are. That's the distraction factor. We're even uncomfortable watching someone meditate. What do they think about? Hmm, how can they sit there that long? I couldn't sit there that long. I get fidgety. I could sit there if I had headset on, listening to music, talking in the other ear with the telephone, watching a video game, and playing my computer. No, I could do it. But that's not meditation, is it? No. Just being present and saying, no more distractions. Anything that distracts you, you've created as a very useful tool to keep from making transitions. Change cannot come without risk. Anytime you're going to change, you're going to have to face all the other things in your life that are attached to what you're changing. Think how many times you want to do something different and first you had to get the approval of others. And why is it we feel we always have to get approval for everything? What is it that someone's going to say to us? Yeah, go ahead and take that class. Take that vacation. But what if we said we wanted to do something that they wouldn't expect, like you're a lawyer and you're successful and you say, I'd, I'd like to go out to New Mexico and, uh, and spend time with nature. And or do what? Nothing. Yeah, yeah, but you're a $300 an hour. I know, but do nothing with that hour. Charge nothing for that hour. Just commune with nature. They're going to think you need help. So ask yourself, are you more afraid of the contentions and confrontation that come when you're seeking others' approval for change rather than the change itself? If you want to be healthy, why should there be an argument about it? If you're sick and seeking an alternative therapy, why should your doctor say, no, you can't have a second opinion or a third opinion or an alternative opinion? Why should they be concerned? And why should you allow yourself not to have extra opinions 
if you're seeking something that is allowing you a chance to look at your choices and grow. And that's exactly what we do. We limit our choices to those who give us certainty that their understanding of us is enough for us to make a decision on their say-so. Well, think how many times in life people vote or eat or dress or work based upon what others say is best for them. It takes an attitude that I'm willing to face this risk to make this change. We need to see something for what it is. Only then are you ready for true, healthy change. If I keep looking at something and trying to distort it, trying to make it over, and trying to re re repackage it, reframe it, refocus it, because what it is is not acceptable, then all I'm doing is playing the game of manipulating illusions. And what we frequently do is what we feel uncomfortable about, that we can't change, we simply avoid or we put a pretty face on it until one day we wake up and say, why am I doing this? Look at something for what it is. Just look at it. What is it? Visualize yourself standing over something and looking down at it, unattached to it. Now what is it? What is it that I'm seeing? Why are these two nations fighting? Why are these people killing each other? Why are these people refusing to see if there's any virtue or value in what the other person has to share? When you're a part of either side, you can't do that because you can't see something for what it is. Whether it's the Palestinian-Israeli conflict, they can't see the value of each other. Or the in Northern Ireland, or the Tutsis and the Hutu, look at all the people who are in conflict, even Democrats and Republicans, conservatives and liberals. Think of all the different ways that we have excluded what could have helped us had we just been honest and said, see it for what it is. I don't have to attach to it. I merely want to see it and see if there's value in it. That's like listening non-judgmentally. What if I listen to someone without the need to correct them or to find fault with them? Just let them say what they have to say and I bear witness to what they're saying. Think if Dr. Lipton had had people around him at Stanford at the time when he said, it's not the gene, it is the milieu, it is the energy from the medium around it. What do you think would have happened to all of science from that day in the 1970s till now? We would have had some humanistic quantum leaps forward. That's the consequence of not listening non-judgmentally. That means in almost everything we listen to, we listen as a reactionary. We're baited. We have minefields. Trouble is, no one knows where your minefield is. When you're talking with someone, you don't say, now you realize, if, if you say this, I'm going to react. If, if you do this, I'm going to react. No one knows this, do they? And then we, oh, why'd you say that? And we react. We have thousands upon thousands of emotional minefields buried in our psyche. Instead of just clearing it all off by saying, whatever is said, I'm not going to react to it. I'm going to use reason. Then think of all the arguments we wouldn't have had. Think of all the uh, problems of stressing ourselves we wouldn't have done. That's what happens when you clear out the minefields that have been planted throughout our life. Being free to be in the moment allows you to do that. Being present in the moment allows you to do that. If people write me 
an email and, and say hateful things, I just read it and delete it. Why? Because I know it's not about me. It's about them. Do you realize how many days I have had perfect days because I chose not to get upset about what someone said? And think how many times you've gotten upset because someone says something about you and you took it personally. You believed it. Now try to argue logically against something that is illogical. You can't do it, can you? And that's what we do. We try to bring reason and logic to something that's not instead of just surrendering it. Surrender the need to convince someone that you're a nice person. Surrender the need to prove that you're a, a happy person and a loving person. You don't have to prove anything to anyone. And yet, think how much time we do, where we live, the work we do, the earning capacity, where we send our kids. We're broadcasting right now from the Upper East Side of Manhattan. There's a lot of wealthy people in this neighborhood. Do you know how many of their kids are already at age two and three being prepared for the difficult tasks of life ahead and being taught different courses and being groomed? What's missing in that is being a kid. So who's this kid doing this for? Themselves and their future? Or for the insecurity of the parent? That's what happens when we react. We need to see something in a different way. And the way we do that is learn the lesson of your crisis. And in every crisis we have, there is a lesson. Let me give you an example. There is a woman I know who is approaching 40, and for the last year had a person staying with her who was in the kind of the peace movement, an activist, but this person was stressed and would frequently blow off the handle about, you know, this person gives me no privacy and is very jealous and every place I go, this person wanted to know where I was, and, and, and then in the next breath would say, but this person, you know, where would he go and what would he do if, you know, if, if he left? And, and I said, well, why don't you just ask him what he intends to do with his life, and that really has nothing to do with your life, and what do you intend to do with your life? You're not having a, a relationship with him. He's just, he's the man who came to dinner. He just never leaves. And she says, I know, but, and then I started realizing this woman gets a lot of her sense of self by the people that she tries to take home and, and recover. She needs to be needed. Why? Because a lot of her belief was that her value as a human being is in who she can save. Yeah, but these people ask to be saved. And look at the results. Are they actually growing and changing? If you have someone staying with you for a year and you're taking yoga, meditation, and nature outings, and they're no different. Nothing, look carefully. They haven't changed in a year. They just got free room and board and free meal and, and hanging out. And, but telling you about comrades, you know, we must be against the establishment. Well, let them go out and, and be self-supportive because she's between two worlds. Anger at her loss of freedom and autonomy and, and yet needing over here to show that what well, she's caring and nurturing. But what are the results to her? Merely refortifying an old belief system. And for him, doesn't help him. He doesn't change. So what happens then is she looks at every person, every man, 
that she can only associate with a man if she has a deep, meaningful communication. And I said, well, these people want that? People ask for that? Someone come up and say, I can only speak with you if it's going to be a deep, meaningful conversation. If only you can show me you love me and care for me and want to be forever with me, can we have this conversation? Otherwise, you're using me, taking advantage of me. That's how our mind thinks. Imagine that. And as smart as this person is, she couldn't see that in herself. And when I just suggested, take a look at what you're really doing with these relationships and whose interest is it serving? All this yoga, all this meditation, all these retreats, at what point do you say, I've learned my lesson, let me go forward? Because you're right back to the beginning. Like a whole lot of effort, watching someone just work, 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 and then you look and you take a real good look and they're, they're not moving. They're not going anywhere. Never get to the point where you confuse a person's efforts and the illusion of that effort with the reality of change. When a person's changing, it is effortless. Change is effortless. Holding back from change is the effort. Watch someone who's really changing. They are fluid and flowing. Watch the people who are trying to convince themselves in you that they want to change. They're huffing and puffing emotionally and spiritually and psychically and doing everything. They're just like in a, in a supermarket, a spiritual supermarket. They have a big uh, shopping basket and they're taking a little bit of Deepak and Tony Robbins and they're going to take this and what's that and reach up there and get down there and throw it on the bag and they get out and they say, I've got everything in here. Do you realize how much I've done? I've done all this. Are you happy? No! Where's the next aisle? It's not about filling up from out there. It's about emptying out everything and realizing, stop trying to prove yourself. Flow. Effort. Let the energy flow. When energy flows, you're freeing yourself. Watch any great athlete. They move with such ease. And then watch the person's tight. They're slower. 